If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. L.A. is getting a new paper for the LGBT community, but it's a paper that's been around on the East Coast for decades. Troy Masters will fill us in on the new L.A. Blade. And we will return to one of my favorite moments on IMRU, and that was talking with Ivy Bettini, activist, artist, comedian, and one of the original lesbian warriors. And in case you missed it, this year's Pride Parade is becoming Resist March, and creator and founder Brian Pendleton will fill us in. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Frances O'Brien. And I'm Wenzel Jones. With News Wrap. A summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending March 25, 2017. Queensland lawmakers this week passed legislation to repeal the section of the Australian state's criminal code that lowers the sentence for crimes committed in the heat of passion caused by sudden provocation from a homosexual advance. Such statutes are commonly known as a gay panic defense. Activists have been campaigning for removal of the provision in Queensland since the brutal gay-bashing murder of Wayne Rucks in 2008. His killers were convicted of manslaughter instead of murder after they used the gay panic defense to claim that they reacted so violently because Rucks had grabbed one of the men's crotches. One of his attackers was released after serving just four years of a nine-year manslaughter sentence. Queensland Attorney General Yvette Diaz said that eliminating the gay panic defense sends an important message that discrimination is not acceptable and that we value the LGBTI community. South Australia is now the only state in the country to allow a gay panic defense. In U.S. news, 38-year-old Alfonso Watson was murdered this week in Baltimore, Maryland. She became the eighth trans woman reported murdered in the country this year. Witnesses told police that they heard someone yelling for help. Then they heard gunshots and saw two men getting into a dark-colored vehicle and speed away. A police spokesperson told the Baltimore Sun that they don't have a lot to go on. Last year was the deadliest on record for trans people in the U.S., with 27 known homicides. Most victims, and all eight so far this year, were women of color. The real number is probably much higher because police or media may have misgendered some victims or their deaths were not reported at all. 
Trump's Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry, took time away from his busy schedule regulating the U.S. nuclear industry this week to complain about the groundbreaking election of openly gay Bobby Brooks, an economics junior at the flagship campus of Texas A&M University in College Station, as student body president. Brooks became the first out candidate to win that post. He promised his 60,000 constituents to improve student services and increase diversity and inclusion campus-wide. Mark Jones, a Rice University political science professor who's followed Perry's career since before he became governor of Texas, told The Chronicle that it was certainly not something you expect a cabinet secretary to weigh in on, or even a governor, and that it was probably not the smartest move. The Osage Nation has become the latest Native American tribe to open marriage to same-gender couples. Tribes are treated as sovereign nations by the U.S. government, so the June 2015 Supreme Court marriage equality ruling doesn't apply to couples on Native lands. The Osage Nation claims some 20,000 members, mostly in the state of Oklahoma. The move to open marriage to gay and lesbian couples was approved by a 53% vote in a first-ever referendum on amending tribal law. Elsewhere, Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin signed a bill this week that will allow student groups at public high schools and universities to discriminate against potential LGBT members based on religious grounds. It passed in both houses of the Senate legislature with broad bipartisan support and is part of a growing movement across the country to enact laws that allow religious belief to trump civil rights. A similar law is already on the books in Kansas. Virginia's Democratic governor, Terry McAuliffe, vetoed two bills passed by the Republican-dominated state legislature that would have allowed taxpayer-funded agencies and service providers to discriminate against same-gender couples based on religious or moral objections. Mississippi approved a similar measure last year, but a federal judge put it on hold after ruling that the law was unconstitutional. The case is under review at the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. A Tennessee Senate committee rejected an obviously anti-trans North Carolina-like measure this week that would have required people to use sex-segregated public facilities based on the gender listed on their birth certificate. And the Republican-controlled Oklahoma Senate also voted against a bill like North Carolina's HB2 that would have prohibited cities and towns from enacting ordinances that protect LGBT people from discrimination. That's News Wrap for the week ending March 25, 2017, produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Frances O'Brien. Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Well, if you live in Los Angeles, this year will mark the very first year that we don't have a Pride Parade since 1970. And what we've got instead is the Resist March for Human Rights. And here to talk all about that is Christopher Street West, organizer, self-claimed valley boy, and founder (laughs) of Resist March, Brian Pendleton. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I went to the LA Pride website, and I saw that the first thing that jumped out at me was this statement. We are LGBTQ+. We are people of color. We are people of different faiths. We are people of all genders and no gender. We are immigrants. We are dreamers. We are people with disabilities. We are parents. We are allies. We are beautiful intersections of these. But most of all, we are American. Now, last year, 
when Pride was sort of becoming a music festival, there was hardly anything that had this kind of sentiment. So we've come a long way in a year. What happened? <laughs> I mean, what happened is, is, you know, a lot of people thought that we should be doing something a little bit more substantial for our community by getting out there and making a statement that human rights matter. I mean, we've had the LGBTQ community has tremendous wind at our, in our sails for the last eight years, all the way to the point of even being able to get married finally. But those winds have changed. And so it's making people nervous. And and this year, and we're lending our iconic rainbow flag, not just to the LGBTQ community, but as it says in our mission statement, to dreamers, immigrants, women, people of color, people of, of faith that want to make sure that their human rights are not rolled back. And this began with a Facebook post, did it not? <laughs> yes, I like to say it, it began with a cranky Facebook post that I put <laughs> on my Facebook page before I had my first cup of coffee late in late January. You know, I have... What was happening in late January? <laughs> I can't quite recall. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, let me think about that. But, you know, on the heels of the success of what the women did, which was incredibly inspiring, and seeing that Washington, D.C. is also going to do a march, I just simply posted that I'd like to see the L.A. Pride become a protest march. I put that on my own Facebook page. Usually the same hundred people respond to me. You know, I have, you know, a couple thousand friends, but it's the same hundred people that respond to me. But within a few days, I had uh, 33,000 people saying that they agreed with the idea that we should do a format change. And so I started talking to the folks at Christopher Street West. I am now a proud member of the Christopher Street West board. as Because part of, this of this? Process. Yes, because of this. Wow. Well, you know... It's a moment in time. We can sort of reset the idea of what pride means to us, and we can get out there and really make a difference and be visible. There's going to be plenty of time for parades and celebrating. Parades are for progress, and protests are to make sure that people hear us. Is this an anti-Trump march? You know, people say that a lot, and, and I can understand why people think that, but I want to emphatically say no. It is not an anti-Trump march. That's not what we're doing here. Everybody cares about human rights. I mean, all of a sudden, um, gay couples in South Dakota cannot adopt anymore. Or the federal government has said that um, trans rights are transferred to conservative governors in southern states. And so we just want to make sure that our brothers and sisters continue to keep the rights that they had. And this isn't a, a red march. It's not a blue march. It is a red, white, and blue march. The United States has always been on the forefront of human rights, always. And why would we stop now? And, and just to deal with logistics, this is a rather a long march. It's from Hollywood and Highland to Santa Monica and Doheny. And is this, have you close, are they going to close all the roads or is it going to be on the sidewalk or how is this going to work? No, we're going to, we're going to be closing the roads. The, the course is, uh, is being determined both with, a, we're, it's cross-jurisdictional. We're working with the LAPD and the um, LA County Sheriff. Both have been incredibly fantastic. But just uh, people say, whoa, this is long. Well, it's certainly it's longer, longer than the parade. Oh, yeah. Longer than the parade, but shorter than the Rose Parade. Well. Shorter than the Hollywood Christmas Parade. <laughs> shorter than the AIDS Walk. So I say if you're out there listening, join us on June 11th, 8 a.m., Hollywood and Highland. Let's march for human rights. It's not as far as you think. Now, another <laughs> another logistical question to those of us who did the Women's March. Yeah. Um, unless you were lucky enough to live at the terminal station, and I was because I was at North Hollywood, it was impossible to get on the trains. Yes. Um, 
because who knew that was going to happen? Right. Are you making any? Are you talking to the the redline people at all? Or? Yes. I mean, it. We're talking to everybody. You know, we have people talking to L.A. County Board of Supervisors. We have people talking to the MTA. We have people talking to L.A. City Bus. Um, you know, all of those conversations are ongoing. So to answer your broader question, the women did an amazing job. But as of course, we can learn um, to do things a little bit better, uh, possibly. Um, and so making sure that we have um, stages that people can see, making sure that um, when we get to, to West Hollywood, whether you make it to the stage or not, we're going to have big LED screens that go all the way down Santa Monica Boulevard so that even though you don't make it to the stage, you'll still be engaged by the content, by the rally that's going on on that stage. And so we'll, you know, we're working on transportation and we're working at logistics and porta potties and all of those sexy things. It's as all we about speak. the porta potty. It is oh, about the porta potty. Indeed, it is. That's what I learned at the Women's March. Um, so, but there's also going to be like the the full weekend. There's going to be the festival oh, and all yeah. the other stuff. Absolutely. Mm. There's always that beautiful festival that's happening on Saturday and Sunday. It's, you know, in the block between, on San Vicente, between Santa Monica and Melrose. And it, it it's going to be great. And it's going to be poignant. And it's, and it's going to be associated to and tied into what we're doing on the streets. Um, as I mentioned when we started chatting, last year there was a lot of controversy about the event and the festival and everything, and there was a sense that it was no longer an LGBT-focused thing, and there was that prompted a lot of outcry mm-hmm. and debate about are we post-LGBT and that kind of thing. Uh, this really is a 180-degree turn from that in some ways. And in other ways, people still say, well, yeah, but it's not LGBT-focused, and that's a concern. But what happened in CSW to make this transition and to sort of grapple with all of these needs that people have? Well, it's, you know, it's a it's a lot of letters in the alphabet, right? Yeah. And we haven't done our job until every letter is represented, until it's the A through Z, Um and so that's a, that's a lot of constituencies to make sure that you're uh, you, you're taken care of. I, I can say this: uh, when I posted this on my uh, Facebook page, me individual Brian Pendleton, one of the first communications I got was from Chris Clausen, president of CSW, saying, "Hey, let's do this together. It seems like it's the right timing." Um, and and I really give those guys credit because they go to work every day, um, volunteering their time to make sure that um, that. That this event, that the parade and the festival really represents the incredible intersectional cross-section of, of, of our community. It's easy to fail. And, and I really I feel bad for those guys because they were caught in a lot of controversy. Let me say this about the march. It's free. <laughs> you know, people mm-hmm. in order to get into the parade would important. have to pay in order to par- participate. The march is free. So if you're an organization that used to pay to be in, in the parade... Save that money. If you're an organization that used to to build a float, invest that money or donate that money to a charity that needs it. That's what I implore you to do. And use this march to raise even more money for yourselves because who knows what you'll need in the next in the next few years. It's colorful. It's colorblind. It's an LGBTQ event primarily, but like I said, we're enveloping a lot of other groups into our rainbow flag this year. It will have a wonderful quality. It's a peaceful protest about human rights. Is it really the kind of thing like the Women's March where you just show up? It's there's, you know, there are no floats or no, you know, it's that it really is going to be just a gathering. No, I mean, yes, it's going to be a gathering. But one of the things um, that I don't think the women were able to accomplish here in Los Angeles because of their unbelievable success is that they didn't move. 
And I want to move. I want us to march from Hollywood and Highland all the way to West Hollywood. Can you imagine a living, breathing, human monument of Angelinos together saying that human rights matter? We're going to move. Now, now I'm I'm intrigued by you as a human being because when I was looking you up, you would always be listed as philanthropist, activist, entrepreneur because, like— a lot of us have ideas and put them on Facebook, but you like had the idea, you've put it into action, you've kind of changed local history. Just how do you do it's that? Good. How do you be, be such an effective, vital person? Oh, first of all, thank you for saying that. <laughs> it's all about the company I keep. It's all about the people that I surround myself with. I'm, I, I'm just absolutely honored by the people that jumped on the committee right away. I mean, you should have seen the first committee meeting that was around my, around my table. It was, it was Paul Katami who was one of the named people in the Supreme Court, you know, Proposition Eight case. It was, it was trans people. It was bi people. It was people of color. It was, you know, me, the cis white gender dude. Um, and it was an incredible cross section. That, that mission statement that you read. Um, and it, that it was it was by committee, it but it was so beautiful that 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 committee was able to build that language that spoke so poignantly about where we are in our world right now. One of the fellows that has been somewhat critical of this is a, a business owner named Larry Block, uh, who owns a clothing store in the Block Party. And he, he had some concerns with it. He was one of the people saying, I want it to be a celebration sure. about that's what we've got. But even he. <laughs> Even in his, he did an op-ed about this. Yeah. Even he was like, no, people are committed to this. You're committed to this for the right reasons. Like, he understood that. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting that even the disagreement about it, it seems to be, at least from the outside, um, positive, a sense that we're all trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. Yep. Like I, you're saying, you can't meet everybody's needs. No, and I love Larry. And the thing, I, the thing I really love about Larry is outspoken. He's a community activist and he cares. And I also love that he joined... Um, he, you know, he, he, uh, he's on my website now with the reason about why we should march and he's marching. I was just emailing with Larry just a few minutes ago before I walked into this room because he's taking that passion and he's really driving it towards how do we bring this community together? We have a moment, 2017, where we've been fractured and we can come together. Does it feel a little bit like going back in time? I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> well, just that, you know, we're, it's, we're not post anything yet. Yeah. We're kind of taking it back to the streets. We are. I mean, it is. We are taking this back to 19, 1970. As you know, or as you may or may not know, um, CSW was founded in 1970. The first Pride Parade was actually on Hollywood Boulevard. And so we are we that. are going to where, where it all began in 1970. And I'm really proud to say that the Reverend Troy Perry, who... You know, founded the MCC mm-hmm. Church and co-founder of Christopher Street West said that this march fits squarely in the founding of why CSW was started. Now, Abby and I went to two different websites, apparently, when we were checking this out. Because I went to resistmarch.org, right? Sure, yeah. And you went to? LAPride.org. Sure. So, so you can get there through any? Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Now, I noticed that resist, uh, resist. Hashtag. Thank you. The Resist one had a shopping opportunity on it. Are you going to expand beyond that T-shirt? Yeah, actually, we're uh, – what? You don't like those colors? Yeah. No, actually, it's funny you should say that. We're working with Larry Block and other um, – and L.A. Sporting Club and other um, uh, retailers in West Hollywood to ensure that, 
you know, they we can get people wearing, you know, we're not going to have the, the pussy hat because that doesn't really fit the LGBTQ community, but we're going to have some, you know, things like that for our march. Something crafty that we I'm, can make I am going to wear my pink hat, though. Would you please? Yeah. I mean, no, I want to see as many pink hats as I possibly can. And can you bring me one because I don't have one? I couldn't get on the subway. <laughs> so, so dealing with big crowds is something I've always been somewhat wary about. As a person actually organizing a big crowd, how do you stay comfortable and just know that it's all going to be fine because I mean the women's march was freaky nice Every, everybody was so and yeah and usually in a crowd that size I get a little panicky I mean what are you what are you doing how do you work yeah, again, working with some really incredible people. JJLA is our production partner. They're working on the production. Um, Mark Poncher, who's on my committee, has helped um, helped produce the opening closing ceremonies of the Olympics. I myself have produced um, over over 150 large outdoor multi-day events for you know thousands of people. Plus, working with the LAPD, LA County Sheriff, Public Safety, um, LA County Fire, LA City Fire. It's important that we have a safe peaceful march. And you totally know what you're doing. I'm so impressed. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Are we jumping ahead to ask about next year? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's 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 all gather on June 12th and and look back and say what did we do well and what could we do better and then figure out what what 2018 looks and like. And what do we need to do yeah. to yeah. address what's going on in our so world? So go Who to knows? resistmarch.org and get the updates because the how often do you update that website cuz it looks like it's pretty early on right now. No, constantly updating, okay. it, especially the partners. It's really yeah. important to go to the partner side of, part of the page right. to see who's joining us. Right. And that's hashtag #resistmarch if you're putting on social media. That's correct. Yes. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It's I been really a delight here. It. And that's you. Brian Pendleton, a board member of CSW and founder of Resist March, June 11th. Well, still to come, we've got my interview with Ivy Bettini, one of our great people who I hope is going to be there at the march, one of our heroes. And the editor-in-chief of the brand new L.A. Blade newspaper, Troy Masters, will be here in studio. Don't go away. We'll be right back. King versus Riggs, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. In 1973, a highly publicized tennis match took place in the 30,000-seat Houston Astrodome. It was billed as the Battle of the Sexes. On one side of the net was 55-year-old Bobby Riggs, a world champion since age 16. He had been boasting that he could beat any woman by virtue of his manhood, and to prove it challenged women's lib leader Billie Jean King. At age 29, King was a born fighter. Not only was she at the top of her sport, she'd been campaigning hard for equal treatment of women in sports. She eagerly accepted the face-off. As millions of men and women across the country tuned into their TV, King beat Riggs in three straight sets. She relished the victory not just for herself, but for all the women out there who dreamed of making it big in sports. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Mary Gay Hutcherson. Hello, I'm Barney Frank, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine, out front and out loud since 1974, on KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridcrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org.
Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones. Well, right after I started with IMRU, I got a chance to interview one of the early and great feminist troublemakers, Ivy Bettini. And, well, we talked for about two hours, and this is just a little piece of that. Um, Her words about fighting for our rights in the 60s and 70s are just as true today, I think, as they ever were. So here's a little bit. To legendary activist and artist Ivy Bettini, feminism and lesbian rights go hand in hand, an opinion not shared by many feminists in the 1960s, including one Betty Friedan. Oh, yeah. I mean, she wanted me dead. I mean, <laughs> if were, were you could... the lesbian that, that she was targeting? Was it you, or were there a few others? Well, there probably were a few <laughs> others, but I was the first thorn in this side in the New York chapter. In 1969, I did a, a panel. When the chapter formed and as we moved, I'd meet these lesbians, but they were all in the closet, deep in the closet, scared out of their minds. And I thought, well, that's not right. So I put a panel together, and there were 15 of us. I was the moderator. And uh, the title of the panel was, Is Lesbianism a Feminist Issue? And the reaction, I mean, there, there were two lesbians on the panel, Barbara Love and Sidney Abbott, who wrote uh, Staffo's Right on Woman. They were the only two lesbians on that panel. All the other women were straight. I was, I was still married. Did they know that you were a lesbian? Did you know you were a lesbian? Well, I knew I was a lesbian. I didn't know how to get there. Right. So you were still in that coming out to yourself. Yeah. Figuring out the logistics of it. Yeah. Yeah. And not trying to hurt my family. It didn't work. We used to have a meeting once a month. And I changed it to once a week. You can't have a movement once a month. You know, it's just, it's insane. That would be a crawl. Yeah, right. And so one night was the program meeting, and I always advertised the program in the New York Times under things to do or whatever the heading was at the time. And normally we would get, you know, at the regular meeting, the members, maybe we'd get 40 members would come, and then we'd get maybe another 10 from outside. Mm-hmm. This one, where I advertised this lesbianism and feminist issue, that place was packed. There were over 300 people that showed up in the basement of that church. And I went, hmm, I think I... Mean, I, I, I think I recall reading about this, that this was really a pivotal moment. What happened after that was just amazing to me. Uh, The the, the feedback that came back was that we were all lesbians on the panel because why would you want to talk about it? You know, why? And then Betty Friedan was furious. She was just, my ass was in a sling from that point on. (laughs) And she was determined to get rid of me and the elections were coming up. Normally we had 40 or 50 people at the elections. But at this election, there were, there were like a couple of hundred people showed up. And I had been warned by Barbara Love and Sidney Abbott. Barbara called me one day and said, Ivy, for Dan's out to get you, I have about 30 or 40 lesbians that will join, you know, save your back, because they still had time to join. It had to be 30 days ahead. And so I said, no, I no, no, I, I, I don't want you to do that. I trust... I trust the membership. I've worked with them since the founding. I trust them. Well, the night of the election, 
paper members came. There had been this horrible telephone campaign that Ferdan and her crew generated. Jackie Sabias, who is the head of uh, Veteran Feminists of America, she denies it, but Barbara said Jackie Sabias is making these horrible phone calls about you, blah, 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 blah. So at that, at that meeting, you could bullet vote. And so there were 15 of us on the steering committee and board. All of my people, when they realized what was happening, they all stepped down, so the only person they could vote for was me and a, a, a woman I'd never seen by the name of Vivian or Violet or Viola, I don't know. And she beat me by, by seven votes because it was totally stacked. I love the fact that you were a lesbian crusader even before you were really a lesbian completely. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I did get elected to the board. Whoopee. And um, so I went to the first board meeting and I read them the riot act and said, I cannot serve with you because you've known me for how many years? And now I'm this monster. So I'm out of here. So I resigned. And I remember I would go to work and I would come home and I would sit in this rocking chair I had in the corner of the room. And I would sit there and just go, what the hell happened? Is this issue so volatile, so heinous that, that they would do this? That for Dan, who traveled by this time, she's traveling all over, would take the time to zero in on me. I realize that lesbianism is not only a feminist issue, but it's the bottom line. I mean, it, it is what keeps women in their place by fear. So, so if you can't stand being called a lesbian or thought of as a lesbian, you're never going to be free. Never, ever going to be free. You'll always be able to be controlled by this issue. And Well, I wonder if, conversely, that is the same is true for straight men. As long as you can weaken a man by calling him a faggot, that he is beholden to some kind of artificial sense of masculinity. Yeah, that's why I say men should yeah. join the women's movement. Well, you know, I created this chart years ago, probably 68, because I did a lot of speaking. And so I created this chart... And I, I don't do it. I just put the headings up there, and then the audience actually yells out words. Like the first, the first column is feminine, and I get them to yell out all the stereotype words about feminine. And I go, now, don't be shy. Nobody's going to hate you. <laughs> you know, what are the, and, and there's this long list of dependent, um, mothers, uh, nurture, blah, 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 sexy. You know, all these... And then the second column is masculine. And again, stereotype, bush, virile, strong, provider, father, you know, all the power words. Then I do gay man, and I get all the feminine words. And then I do masculine, and I get all the, um, oh, how is it? It goes feminine, masculine, oh, lesbian. <laughs> that one. <laughs> and lesbian, I get all the masculine words. And I'm, I'm not creating this. you think this. would be a good thing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they're creating it. You know, I talk about that you're actually looking at the, the germ of sexism. This is Abby Dees, 
and I'm talking with legendary artist and activist Ivy Bettini. You were talking about putting the words on a wall and what do people think about. So I'd like to do something s- a little similar to you. Sure. With you, <laughs> not to you. And see. So, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Just, just what comes to your mind when you think of these words? Dyke. Strong woman. Very. Doesn't take any guff. That word doesn't have any negative association for you? No, I love the word. AIDS. Um, double-edged sword. Uh, one was horrible, and the other side of it created the larger organizations. And although I think they have shut out the grassroots, if they could wake up and encourage the grassroots, it, it would be great. But they haven't done that. As far as the movement goes, as far as human beings go, it was not just a loss for our community, but it's a loss for humanity because we are the creative people and we will not be putting that out there. How, how many have died? I mean, how many died of AIDS that, that probably 50% would have contributed something meaningful to society? And we'll never have that chance. Pride. It has become a weak word because we have overused it. It's a great word, but over time, I think it's lost a lot of its meaning because we use it for everything. I I wear pride T-shirts all the time. Um, This says pride on the back. And, you know, I'm, I am a walking billboard. <laughs> Pride has lost a lot of meaning for me because I think it's been softened because mm-hmm. we use it just about everything. Same-sex marriage. I think it's wonderful for the people who want it. I personally think the assimilation is going to wipe out our, com- our community as a community. Mm-hmm because the assimilation is already going on, and we will be going back in the closet. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that? I don't, I don't think we will think of it as going back in the closet, because the minority group does not move into the mainstream, and then the mainstream becomes the minority group. It works the other way around. We move into the mainstream. We're going to be the mainstream. We will slowly let go of our, I think, uh, anger of our commitment, and we will be the Joneses, <laughs> except there'll be two women and two men. It sounds like you're saying we'll lose our specialness. Yes, I, I believe we will. And what do you think is special about us? Well, our creativity. Um, it's, it never ceases to amaze me. Our service to the world I just think our brains wire differently. And I think we think differently. If you're part of the, the world that, you know, you've never felt discriminated against, you know, maybe you had to stand too long on a line, that pissed you off. But, you know, but if you're a part of a group that has been on the outside and persecuted, I think your brain makes shifts. Um, to, for protection and strategies and how to get through your life, you know, which is a dangerous cause. There are some people who choose to live with a woman or live with a man, 
But for the most part, we're born this way. I mean, if I could have avoided all the pain I had in my life with my family, my kids, the regrets I have on how they were hurt, do you think I would have done it? If I had a choice, I knew that was going to happen, do you think I would have done it? Probably not. We see things differently. You may look at that and say that's blue, and I look at it and say it's purple. It's just a different way of looking at life, and I think what we contribute moves society forward. Do you think that's true for all minority groups, anyone that's on the outside looking in? I think so. What does the word tolerance mean to you? I hate it. You know, I hate the word tolerance. I think it's an insult. I think it keeps um, discrimination going because it's, it's not an acceptance. Tolerance is not acceptance. And are you looking for acceptance? Yes and no. <laughs> I'm not looking for acceptance that we lose ourselves. And that's, that's what I think the marriage thing is going to eventually do. But I am looking for acceptance and safety for LGBT. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't understand me, I really don't give two hoots. <laughs> But if you are going to go kill me, then I care. Yeah. I think, I think, and even acceptance isn't even a, a good word. Acceptance means we've finally come to some understanding and from where we were and, okay, I accept it. So I don't know what Detente. Word. <laughs> pardon? Detente. I'm thinking of words. I'm thinking of, yeah. you know, because I don't necessarily want to accept people who have a belief system that's very contrary to my own. I mean, I don't want to be forced to accept them. Right. But I do expect a certain common respect. Maybe it's just respect. Does that seem like a good word? It's something you have to do. It isn't automatic. Yeah. Um, I did that painting, I Am. That's what I want. I just want I am for everybody. No apologies, no excuses, just I'm alive and I am. To learn more about Ivy Bettini, you can visit her website at ivybettini.com. That's I-V-Y-B-O-T-T-I-N-I.com. This has been Abby Dees. chats with Ivy Abbey. How, how many can you generate from I that one interview? Talk to, I, I <laughs> promised her that I want to go and talk more. There were, I remember when I did this, I had a whole list of questions and I got to none of them. <laughs> and so I said to her, I've got to go back because i got to ask you all these questions. And so that, we still have, she's still on my dance card and, and I hear that she's still fighting in our next guest says that she showed up at the WeHo City Council meeting last week and made her feelings down. Yes. yes and our next guest sits before us. It's Troy Masters, the editor of the brand new LA Blade. Los Angeles Blade. Los Angeles Blade, which will be uh, showing up at a bar or distribution distribution point near you soon. Uh, well, it's already out. It's this the, week. This week. The, the, it went out on Friday, the yeah. first issue, and 
we have distributed just over 30,000 copies for the first issue. And we started with Palm Springs because our printer is in Palm Springs. So we have actual distribution in both Palm Springs and Los Angeles, and some in Long Beach, too. So the Los Angeles Blade did not just spring out of nothing. It is. Yes, it it's did. <laughs> it's a well, miracle. Here, we hear about the miracle of the Los Angeles Blade. But <laughs> if you've been in the community at all, at some point you will have come across the Washington Blade, which has been called Correct. sort of the paper of record for our community. They've been around since 1969. Well, 1969. They have been around longer than I think anybody, any other LGBT newspaper in America. And one of the reasons that I think this is just a spectacular thing for Los Angeles is because we get their intellectual power and history and their ethics and their their high bar of journalism, which is, you know, it's a big deal, really, for a community that has kind of struggled to have an LGBT journalistic voice in print. So there's you guys and there's others, but it's been a, it's been a difficult journey I think, given frontiers, closure, other attempts. So many papers have closed in the city. And you had said, just before we went on air, you have the distinction of of starting up two competing newspapers in the same market. I I am that distinct, weird person. So (laughs) before you were were at the helm of the Pride, and now... We, you're at the helm of I, I started the Los Angeles Pride. The Pride Los Angeles. I've already forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Pride Los Angeles. I moved here from New York um, after nearly 30 years doing uh, LGBT products. And I uh, am founder and publisher of Gay City News in New York. Um, so when I moved here to start the Pride Los Angeles, I sort of did it on a handshake and a, and, and a hope. Um, but it was a partnership that sort of was fraught with some trouble, and I, I decided to walk away from it because I think this is a much more important effort for the community. Like having the right voice, the right tone, the right partner, everything about it is just a big, giant improvement. So what's what's good about it? What's the right when you say it's the right tone, the right voice? Well, in one of them is that you have to be gay-owned to do this properly, 100%. That's really critical. You have to have a, a, a real devotion to the mission and understand very, very fine details about what it is that you're doing. You know, th- those are the two most critical things in being able to do any product for any niche community, but in particular LGBT. You know, we, we went through, uh, you know, we went through a very hopeful period where we thought we were going to have the best president possible for us, and we got our hopes dash, which raised everyone's alarm, and that alarm bell became my motivating factor. You know, we have to get this right in Los Angeles. When well, you've been involved with LGBT publishing for mm. 30 years now? 30 I'm, long years. I mean, what would you say <laughs> the changes have been? Because I remember back in the olden days when The Advocate was on newsprint mm-hmm. and they had the pink pages mm-hmm. and it was all very, things tended to be very tiny and very underground, kind of Upside trashy. Upside porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and now, I mean, this is like totally respectable and grown up and who thought we'd live to see this? Well, thank you. But I mean, how? Whoever how thought I would grow up. I mean, did did you watch the change? Did you make the change happen? I, I mean, think I, I, you know, I, it sounds so arrogant, but... We all play off one another in this space, and uh, there was a uh, a publication in the 80s called Outweek, <clears throat> and it really, really, really raised the bar about idealism and the message and the mission and everything that you really needed 
to understand about to, to get through the AIDS crisis, essentially, you know. So we were um, a little rabble-roused group of 23 people, and uh, it really struck a nerve with me. I was on the staff there as well in the 80s. And uh, it folded, and I created a glossier version of it, which moved the advocate into a glossy space. We got rid of the porn. They answered that. You know, we keep answering one another in this market. And ultimately, you know, we moved to the internet. We created more robust content. We've done, you know, we've just sort of like played against one another and built it up. So I think the strongest thing right now for LGBT print media is the the Washington Blade. You know, so it's got a great voice. It's got a great group of contributors, really super well-known ones. It's like... And then secondly, uh, the, the is their, their website is really robust, but I hope to move the bar on all of that as well. You know, they're going to feed off me. I'm going to feed off them. This is going to be a great arrangement for Los Angeles. And do you have your staff mostly in place, or are you still looking for writers with a local history? We're looking history? for writers. Okay. We're always looking for contributors. Uh, and Karen Oakham is our contributing editor. Friend of I am, are you Karen Oakham? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. She, she, when, we, when, we, when we discuss politics, we always get Karen to come in because she knows everything and everything. Oh, you can't, do a, you can't do this without Karen. I no. Mean, it would just be a ridiculous enterprise without her. Last time we talked to you, um, I think it was about a year ago, I was just thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Obama was president. Yes. Uh, CSW, as we were just talking mess. about, it was mm-hmm. a it, music pr- fest. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't Frontiers, want to say mess? I wasn't there. <laughs> and I'm very, you know, I'm pleased to see what's happening with CSW. But yes, yes I mean, yes. you know, there was a lot of controversy about that mm-hmm. because it was sort of moving away from an activist. That was the perception. And Frontiers Magazine had announced that it was going to shift its focus to millennials. And yeah. all this millennial crap. Yeah. And now we've got, you know, Obama is obviously not president. The CSW has become a protest march. Um, and and Frontiers is bankrupt. Well, so, I, I write about that in my article, I think, a little bit. Yes, you, you go did. Go ahead. I'm sorry, right? Well, yeah. I, yeah, I am just curious. You mm-hmm. sort of address some of this. And obviously, I don't think that any of us could imagine that we would be talking about these things and this is what would be happening right now just a year later or so. How has your view of journalism and your responsibility changed, if at all? I mean, imagine it has. Well, I honestly think that there was a, like uh, I opened my article about the protest march talking about a paradigm shift or my one something I wrote. And I think that's what it was when we woke up on the morning of gay pride in June of 2016 and we found out what had happened in Orlando. I think the world changed. You know, it might it, it, the election might even have been decided on that day. You know, and I've seen like everything sort of spiral out of that moment. You know, my own motivation grew stronger. Like I, I, 30 years into this, what are you going to give up? You're going to get stronger. You're going to do more. You're going to like want to get it right. And I think the community got activated by that. And this idea of like wrapping things around post-gay ideas and millennials and just forgetting about legacy and history and and uh, all that we've been through with the AIDS crisis through the gay marriage and marriage equality uh, actions, you know, like it's just a, it's like it's time to double down. You know, it's not time to uh, put glossy happy faces around the world, you know. Well, it does seem awfully brave to be coming out with a new print newspaper in the Los Angeles market because 
so many papers have died in this city. And I'm just wondering why, why now? Why, what is it about this particular moment in this particular place that you thought, okay, we can, we can handle the blade because it seems really grown up. You know? <laughs> I, think, I think Los Angeles has uh, given short shrift about its, uh, its neuronic, neurons. There, there's a lot of brilliant people here. And uh, there's been an unfortunate addiction uh, addiction to uh, glossy PR spin, you know. And we're not that, you know. We, I, I really believe there's a granular interest here in what it is that's happening in the world, and that you know you've got you've got to have the brain power to match the market, you know. And and I believe we do. So, does that? Yes. Yes. There is no right answer. No, no. no. (laughs) (laughs) Journalism is in many ways under attack right now. It is. And of course, the irony of that to me is that journalism is having a bit of a resurgence. Mm -hmm. Um, But we hear all this talk about fake news and everything else. We're fake news. Okay, well, that's it for my question. (laughs) 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 Are you going to take that one head on, that idea? Are are you sort of carrying a sword for journalism? I believe that journalism is an, the most important thing that we have as a community. In some sense, it's our voice. We reflect what's happening to us and how we feel about it. And sometimes people might think, okay, well, they're talking too much about how they feel about it and not what actually happened. But you know what? The Washington Blade doesn't has never been accused of being uh, – I was talking to someone about this earlier. Uh, the, the Washington Blade has never been accused of – towing a line. It's it's often been controversial because it was a little bit conservative in its like uh, take on something because they're more fact-based. They're much more interested in getting it right. So, you know, although, I mean, with me in the equation, I'm very emotional. I'm very like, I, I, I like to, I, I like to see what moves people. I like, I like seeing people move. So there's a blend of that. So will I be accused of Fake news? Uh, maybe oh. by the right people, maybe. <laughs> Facts. I miss them. <laughs> I am looking at the cover of the premiere issue, and it is about the resist the resistance march. Um, L.A. Pride embraces call for a protest march, and there's a picture of someone holding a sign that says silence equals death. And I, when I was speaking, speaking with Brian Pendleton earlier in the show, I said, are we going, or is this a little bit of a time travel thing? Um, mm. And I'm just wondering if... That I, that silence equals death. I haven't seen that sign mm. since the, the, the yeah, yeah. there were the early nineties. Um, what were your thoughts when you were putting together this maiden issue? Maybe that's not the right word. This very <laughs> this well, your very first issue. In in some respects, you know, like I said, <clears throat> the world changed when we woke up in Orlando. Had happened when this man, a crazy guy, was caught in Santa Monica with bombs coming to L.A. Pride. You know, the community actually did change. You know. Then with the election of Trump and all of this focus back on where we came from, we came from protests. The community is was our roots are in standing up to say what it is that who we are and what we need. You know, um, so silence equals death is from Act Up. Act Up. Uh, that 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 particular sign I think sort of really says it because. Uh, at that moment that that sign became popular, it's because the government was doing nothing to help us. That we, we had to really stand up and say what it was that we needed and get what we needed done. And we're back there in some sense of the word. It you know? seems like that. Yeah, it feels that way. 
Now, do you expect the Los Angeles play to develop over time into a very distinctive publication, the way that you would never mistake the LA Times for the New York Times, even though they're both respectable and a fine read? But I mean, surely you're using the Washington Blade right now as a template, but are, do you think it's going to grow over time into something oh, different? It, it definitely has to have its own legs and own identity, and it, and it, and it, and it does already, you know, with Karen with me, with some others, you know, that are contributing. Um, and especially arts. I think the arts will be become an increasingly more important part of the paper, um, which is local. For there. folks that want to subscribe, want to pick up a paper, want to see what you're doing and find out what's happening in their city, what do they need to know? Uh, they can go to losangelesblade.com, and there's a find a copy link. There's an about link, and there's tons of news, a lot of it from Los Angeles, some national news from Washington. Um, and we promise you that we'll always be there. And can you get an old school paper subscription delivered to your house? Well, we're doing door to door distribution in West Hollywood for free, mm-hmm. whether people want it or not. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. I love West Hollywood. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. I'm very excited about a Terrain brand new Masters. Paper. Yeah, very exciting. Please come back. We know you will. We always love to have you. Thank you. Well, that is it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer, Steve Pride, our director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, board op, Liz Tapia, and Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. Find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon. Go see it. Go listen to it and then like Like us us. while you're there, please. And we will close with a song from out blues musician Gay Adegbalola. I have Adeg Adeg Bag Balola. (laughs) (laughs) But the song's great. Called I Ain't Ashamed. Because we ain't. No, we're not. Good night. Good night. I ain't ashamed. No, 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 I ain't ashamed. I ain't ashamed. No, 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 I ain't ashamed. Well, it's dark in the closet now. I'm out in the light. Shining bright, yeah, 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 I ain't ashamed. I ain't afraid. No, 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 I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid. No, 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 I ain't afraid. I'm out in the open, I no longer live in fear. I can look you in the smile from ear to ear, yeah, 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 I ain't afraid, I ain't alone, no, 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 I ain't alone, I ain't alone, no, 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 I ain't alone, got my brothers and my sisters standing by my side, Fighting for our freedom, we will not be denied. Yeah, 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 I ain't alone. I ain't ashamed. No, 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 I ain't ashamed. I ain't ashamed.